This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. And speaking of missions, today I'm going to conclude the th three series of sermons that we've been talking about, the goals in our mission. And uh, I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn with me, if you will, please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. You know, many times when Jesus spoke to the multitudes, or whether it was just a handful of people, sometimes people would go away saying, never a man spake like this man. And then there were times when he spoke that people would go away shaking their heads saying, this is a hard saying. Whenever he spoke, no matter what he said, he definitely challenged people with their intellect. He created a lot of controversies with the things he said, and sometimes he was silent. Sometimes he created enough controversy he didn't even have to say a word. But that's just the uniqueness of the Lord. And in today's message, in these particular verses, and I'm going to call your attention to Matthew 5, beginning in verse number 43, this was sort of like one of those mind-boggling statements that Jesus was saying. I'll talk about it in just a few minutes, but I want to read this passage for you in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 43. And this morning, we're speaking about extending the love of God extending the love of God. And so the scripture says this in Matthew 5, 43, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, there might be some saying, well, I Jesus has lost his mind. What does he think I'm going to do for people that treat me like this? But these are the words of the Savior. In verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same or do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so or do so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven perfect. For the past two Sundays, we've been diving into the heartbeat of why we exist as Buford Road Baptist Church. And we have said much about that in these last couple of sermons, and I hope that you have been refreshing yourself in this and letting it take deep root in your heart. I want to share with you, and it's listed again I want to share with you our mission statement once again. Now, I want you to look at it. I want you to uh, saturate yourself with it and, and just 
Uh, let it dominate your heart and your thoughts. The Bible says this, because we need to study to show ourselves to prove unto God. We need to do that. The Bible says that we are instructed in the ways of the Lord to follow him, to carry out his commandments, to carry out his teachings. So we know that the word does give us admonishment to follow closely uh, to the words and the teachings of Jesus, and it's reinforced with the disciples and the apostles and, and the prophets and the great uh, writers of Scripture. But I want to share with you again our mission statement, and I want you to see how that intertwines all, all of those beautiful words, and that is this. Beaufort Road Baptist Church exists to be a people of God who enjoy the glory of God and who equip the people of God and who extend the love of God. That's what we're all about. That's why we're here. And so our mission statement should be what I would feel and hope and desire it to be a driving force of everything we do. When you, when you take that statement and you break it down in those components and you, and you look at it, I, I would pray that it is the driving force in everything that we do. In fact, I believe it's so simple that even little children can understand it. And by the way, if we can teach them that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and if we can teach them things like Jesus walked on the water, and if we can teach them things that Daniel survived the lion's den, then we can teach them so simply what the mission statement of our church is, why we're here. As I mentioned to you last Sunday, there are churches on every street corner. Why is that? Why do those churches exist? Do they have a different message? Do they have a different reason? Narrow it down to where we are. You look in our community, and I told you just a few weeks ago that when Gail and I were out of town, we passed six Baptist churches in a three-block radius, and I wonder why. Why are those many churches in three blocks? Why do they exist? What is their purpose? What is their reason? It's important that we know why we're here. Out of all the other churches in this community, it's important that we know why we're here and what our job and what our mission is. Now, in the first sermon of this particular series, we talked about the privilege we have and the powerful dimension of our relationship with God. And that was to enjoy the glory of God. I think so many times we live shallow Christianity and we limit the fullness of the Spirit in our lives because of the little knowledge we have about God himself. You know, some people are stuck on enduring God rather than enjoying him. I want you to think about that. When you get to the place when you can enjoy him because he is your everything, then you will have an overwhelming desire to experience him in his fullness. I mean, when you start experiencing the glory of God, in your personal life, it's going to go far beyond a Wednesday night. It's going to go far beyond a Sunday morning. But unfortunately, that's the only time that people experience some of God is on a Wednesday or a Sunday. That's not the way that God designed this thing. 
God designed us that we could know him fully and on Mondays and Tuesdays as well. So you think about this. Enjoying God will impact our desire to know more about him. I think it will also create a passion to serve him. And that's what we spent seven weeks talking about with this Serving Together series. And by the way, I want to thank each and every one of you who took the time not only to be here to hear these messages about serving together, but you kept your survey card, you kept praying about it. I mean, it did not become something that you just heard me talk about on a Sunday morning, and it wasn't something that you just shoved in the, in the Bible. Some of you actually put it on your kitchen table, on your refrigerator. Some of you kept it before you and your family, and you begin to pray about together, what can we do as a family? What can we do individually? And I want to thank each and every one of you who did that, who not only prayed, you didn't just throw it in the floorboard of your car and say, oh, that's over my head. I'm too old. I'm too hurt. I'm too beat up. No, you took it and you begin to pray about it. Lord, show me what I can do. And I want to take this opportunity to thank many of you who did that. In fact, we have already begun to enlist people into these very special places of service. Some actually started today, and I want to thank God for that. The Word of God teaches us that we do need to be unified in serving Him together. Now, last week we talked about equipping the people of God. We talked about that being one of the greatest aspects of our church, not only experiencing the glory of God, but one of the responsibilities we have is to equip the people of God. That's one of our great purposes, to equip the body for the edification of the body, to build up the body, to enlist the body, to mobilize the body, teaching the body of Christ what we believe, teaching the body of Christ to encourage one another. And through all of that, I pray that the body of Christ would be edified. Because here's what I believe. I believe if we get to the place where we are edifying, here's how I believe it works. We edify because God justifies. And here's the thing. When we edify, he justifies he can also be glorified. So you think about how all of this works in those specific dynamics. We preach him crucified. The sinner becomes justified. The church is edified. And because of that, he's glorified. So it all works together. Edification is a very important element to us. In fact, Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 2. He said, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 12, the word says, even so much for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. That's very important. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so that's important for us. And now today, we're talking about extending the love of God. And I believe that the love of God is the message, really, of the entire Bible. I want you to see something unique here in Matthew chapter 22. Take your Bibles and turn there with me. Several groups of people in this particular 
process, this reading, are beginning to question Jesus. And they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to back him in a corner. And they were doing everything that they could possibly do to make him look like that he was an imposter. I'm talking about from the Herodians to the Pharisees to the Sadducees, even a well-scholared lawyer, an expert on the law, got in on this. And so look at Matthew 22, and I want you to see this beginning in verse number 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto you. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so, in a masterful way, Jesus summed up everything in this one word, love. He said to love God, and he said to love others. So keep this in mind this morning, that the basic element of our mission statement, of why we exist, why we are here, it's very simple, very simple. It's, in fact, it's so simple, it reminds me of my coaching techniques in our basketball team that we have here at our school. I, I don't know a thing about basketball. But I'm the head coach. And it comes down to a pretty basic, simple philosophy for me because while there are other people that's drawing diagrams and talking about the forward and the guards and all of this stuff, here's my, my philosophy is very simple. I get all those boys together and I said, I have one philosophy. And that is this. I want this ball in that basket. Now, if you can put this ball in that basket and at halftime when we change course, you put the ball in that basket, then we're starting off really well. But see, it's very simple. I don't try to complicate. It's not complicated for me. I sit over there and try to make them behave half the time anyway. I just want the ball in the basket. And so here's that, that's like the gospel. The Lord has made the gospel so simple. So simple that even a child can receive it. The problem is we complicate it. We want to try to make stuff out of no stuff. And we want to try to just uh, go over people's heads and around this bush and all of that. But listen, it's very, very simple. You've got to keep the gospel simple. It is simple. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He keeps it simple. He says it's all about love and the core value that we should all hold dear about the Savior, John 3.16, and the scriptures on his infallible love is this. God wants us to love him, but he also wants us to take his love, and he wants us to extend his love to others. Now, you think how precious that is. In Ephesians chapter 5, the word says this in verse number 1, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. 
And then in John 13, verse 35, the Bible says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And so the Holy Spirit has made God loving us and us loving him and us extending his love to all the world a very big thing. Now, I know that sometimes loving people can become a very complicated issue. I understand that. Uh, family issues sometimes make it very, very strenuous and almost seemingly to be impossible. Loving neighbors and loving co-workers can be stressful. And sometimes, unfortunately, it can be very stressful or strenuous even with brothers and sisters trying to cohabitate and live together and serve together and worship together. But listen, that even happened to Paul and Barnabas, by the way. But there should never be such a sharp contention between any of us. Listen, church. There should never be such a sharp contention between any of us that we cannot always agree to disagree that's so important. No matter what our positions may be on certain matters, and I'm sure that they are diverse, but listen, when we finish our cup of coffee together, we should still be able to love one another. In our opening scripture in the great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching us to love all people. And, and look at this. Listen to this. Not only the people that we find it easy to love, but we are also to love the most difficult human beings as well. And so how do we, as a body of Christ, how do we find those components? How do we find that? How do we navigate through that? How is it possible, preacher, that we can love the most unlovable, unkind, unconsiderate people? How can we as a body, how can we as a person, a Christian, be able to do those kind of things? Well, first, if you're following along in your bulletin is this. Number one, by tearing down walls and going beyond our limits. There are certain people that you have had encounters with that from a human standpoint makes your skin crawl. Yeah, and some of those names have just come to your mind. Some of you might now be claiming the blood of Jesus. Get these people out of my mind. I thought I had forgot about it until you brought it up, preacher. But I'm, I'm talking about there's probably people in your mind that if you saw them walking down the street, you would cross intentionally to the other side of the street that you would turn away from. If you were walking down the aisle in the grocery store and you saw them, you probably would get down to the next aisle, do what you could to bypass them. I'm sure that we all know people that we could sleep like a baby while excluding them from our love. And perhaps we've all had justification in our minds from excluding them of what we thought was righteous moves in our life from forgiving them. 
why they should be left outside the gate forever. But I'll tell you, we have to look at this very carefully because Jesus was not saying, only love people who love you back. He was also saying, love people who hate you. Well, I can't do that, preacher. You, you just don't know what they've done to me. You don't know the things that I've gone through, the scars, the pain is just too deep. What they have done is unpardonable. But I want you to ponder this for a moment. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he has not already done himself. In Romans chapter 8 or 5, verse number 8, the word says, but God commended his love towards us and while we were yet sinners. Think about that. Not when we were lovely, not when we were worthy, not when we were champions in the faith, not when we preached the word, taught the word, not when we were opening up the doors of the church and inviting the lost to come in, but he said this, he commended his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, every one of us were born on this planet destined to go to hell, all of us. The only thing that interrupted that is the old ragged cross. You heard the gospel of grace. The Holy Spirit began to bring conviction to your heart. God's amazing grace came in. Somebody told you about the word. You heard the word. But listen, that's the only thing that interrupted this. We all are still, even though we have been saved by God's grace, we are all still hell-deserving sinners. But God's amazing grace interrupted that. He commended his love towards us when we were yet sinners. And that word sinners there also means enemies of God, total enemies of God. I mean, when we love... When we begin to love in our spirit, we begin to love in our words, we begin to love in our conduct, we begin to love in our actions. When we love like this, it's a reflection of Jesus. And that's what the word is teaching us, to be like him. The love that we have for the outside world should clearly distinguish us as belonging to Christ. People should be able to tell that we belong to him. And number two, we extend the love of God when it's not convenient. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, I want to show you something maybe this morning. I try in these particular kinds of stories of the word, I try to show you something that maybe you've not seen before. In the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus was once again engaged in a conversation with another lawyer. And the time had brought him to a lot of question and answers, and, and this was a very engaging conversation. In fact, I want you to see this in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 29, and uh, this is a, a most familiar story, but again, I hope you see something this morning you never thought about. In Luke 10, verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? And how readest thou? And he answering and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus began to love on this man, and he began to teach him a great spiritual truth right here. 
Because in verse 30, and I want to read the parable as the Lord gives it in verse 30 through 37, and Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. But the interesting thing about the story and what I want you to see and maybe you've never noticed it before, it's found in verse number 30. Because the Scripture says that this man fell among the thieves. Okay, you know that part. But here is the thing. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very dangerous journey. It was a road where bandits and gangs and thieves, here it is, where they would camp, they would hide in the bushes, they would hide in the clefts of the rock. They would wait for people, innocent people, walking the road. They would wait and pray for them. They were waiting for opportunities to rob them and in some cases kill them, most definitely to steal their possessions. No doubt, everybody that walked this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, knew how dangerous this road was. No doubt everyone that had made that journey would say to another, when they found out they were going to make this trip, would say, you know that when you start getting to this piece of land from Jerusalem to Jericho, don't go to sleep. If you do sleep with one eye open, take something to defend yourself. I would recommend that you keep on going and not stop because everybody knew how dangerous that piece of ground was. Now, here's the thing. A priest comes by, and the Scripture says he kept on walking. This man was left in dire straits. He had fell among the thieves. Now, a Levite comes by, and he does the same thing. He kept on walking. He saw the man. He saw the condition that he was in. But I want you to notice verse number 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, look at this, he had compassion on him. And the interesting thing is this. The good Samaritan had to stop. On this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, this good Samaritan, knowing what this road was all about, 
knowing that there were thieves that had beat this man up, probably lurking in the bushes that were at any moment could jump on him. He knew what this path was all about. Nevertheless, even after seeing this man beat to a pulp, the Bible says that the good Samaritan stopped. He stopped on this road that was well known and had a terrible reputation of thievery. And the word says that not only did he stop, but he had compassion on him. You see, he put his own life in jeopardy to help this helpless man. He had to stop. He had to extend some love when and where it was not convenient to do so. So keep this in mind today. In all probability, there's somebody in our path who's in a bad way. And it may be uncomfortable for you. It may be inconvenient. It may be out of the norm, but stop and take some precious time to share the Lord. I can remember, I think I shared this with you last Sunday when Gail and I were just uh, on vacation a few weeks ago. and We went to the Smoky Mountains and we went to Gatlinburg. And I don't remember if it was in Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge, but it was one of those tourist traps. Um <laughs> that I, I, I'm beginning now to think about our trip to the Holy Land and I wanted to get some comfortable shoes ahead of time that would uh, accommodate me for the walking that we're going to be doing. So I was looking for a shoe outlet. I found one and went in there and she was busy doing her other thing and I was over there looking at these. And I saw a pair that I couldn't find here in town anywhere. Been looking for them for a long time. And so this gentleman comes up to me and he he. He was a very homely type looking individual. And I mean, if you saw him out of the store and he didn't have his tag on, you might would think that he, he was a homeless man. I don't know. So he, he was in the store and I sat down with this box of shoes and I was trying them on. I said, yeah, I said, uh, I need, I've been looking for these. I said, I need these. I'm going getting ready to take a group to the, to the Holy Land. And I, I've been looking. He said, uh, the Holy Land. I said, but there was my opportunity to witness right there. I had his undivided attention, and I knew that. So I had to take that little stool that I was sitting on and turn it into a little pulpit just for a moment. I said, yeah, the Holy Land. And I said, sir, are you a Christian? That's what he said. He said, I assure him, can I pray for you? I said, you sure can. He put his hands on my shoulders and he began to pray one of the most beautiful prayers that I've heard. I told Gail, I said, you, you won't believe what just happened to me. <laughs> and I'm telling you this, most anybody that would have seen that man on the street would have walked on the other side of the road, would have went to the other aisle in the supermarket. But I'm going to tell you this, Sometimes looks can be deceiving. Don't let an opportunity pass you by. When you whisper Jesus to somebody, they might whisper Jesus right back to you. So there may be times where you might say, well, I'm on vacation. I don't have time for this. I got to get in. I got to get out. I got to do my thing. My ice cream cone is melting. I need to move on. 
But the thing is this. There's an opportunity everywhere where you can stop and whisper Jesus to somebody. And don't be surprised if they whisper him back. Take that time, precious time. It may cause you to have a delay for the moment, but this is what Jesus is talking about. He said to extend this kind of love, and I'm so glad. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm speaking for myself. I'm so glad that one day when I was down and out, when I didn't know anything about the Word, all I know is I didn't want to die and go to hell. Jesus took time out of his busy day. He stopped and had compassion on me, gave me the Word, and now I can say I know that my Redeemer he took time for me and if we never take time to slow down to do this then perhaps we love ourselves a little bit too much than what we ought to and I wonder if there's a person or a place where you have told the Holy Spirit I'm not stopping there I'm not talking to them I don't have time for them Holy Spirit don't even ask me to do it because I'm not going to do it the truth of the matter is you will not ever be lost for people to love. There will be people to love all around you. They're everywhere. Number three, quickly, we have to extend God's love by showing hospitality. In Luke chapter 11, verse 5, and he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight? Now, this is something you need to really think about today. Some of you don't even know this story's in the Bible. So pay it close attention. Let me teach you something in the Word today. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight, say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. That means this. Let me paraphrase this for you. This guy in the Bible, he, he was awakened by the thought of company coming to him. His cupboards were empty. He didn't know what to do. He didn't have anything to feed or entertain his guests. So he goes to his neighbor's house at midnight and he says, Hey, I need, I need some help, man. I didn't make it to the store today. I got a house full of people over here. I need some help. I need you to help me. Give me some food so I can share with these people. So this is the framework of the story. Now look at this. In verse 6, for a friend of mine is in his journey. He's come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door now is shut, and my children are with me. In bed, I cannot rise and give thee. So you get the idea. The man is knocking on this dude's house door at late at night. He's asking for food. He's saying, listen, I'm in trouble. I need something to give my guests. And the guy in the house is saying, hey, go away. It's too late. The kitchen shut down. We're in bed. Don't bother me. And verse number eight, and I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, Underline that word. He will rise and give him as many as he needed. Now, here's look at this. Jesus teaching a parable on prayer, and he's telling a story about a man who went to his neighbor's house at midnight requesting three loaves of bread. And apparently some expected company had come in and showed up at his house, and he didn't have the nourishment to feed them. So he goes to his neighbor's house and begins to knock on the door. His neighbor's reluctant and didn't want to be bothered at that particular hour of the night. And so he said, leave me alone. We've all gone to bed. The kitchen is closed. But this man kept on knocking. Now think about that. The man's already said, hey, leave me alone. We're going to bed. The kitchen's shut down. I'm done. And the guy's continuing to knock. Now, look at this word importunity. That means without shame. He kept knocking. He kept knocking. 
And the sleepy neighbor finally agreed to help him. Now, you think about this. I was reminded of a scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4, 9. talks about hospitality. Now, I've been using that word a lot here lately in these sermons. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And there's a testimony, by the way, in hospitality. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby, I just used that scripture Wednesday night. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Somebody knocks on your door. Listen now, you check it out. Don't just open the door to anybody that, you know, looks like the homeless guy. But I will tell you this, don't pick up hitchhikers. I need to give you a safety class here just for a moment here to continue this message I can see now. But listen, always take time for people. I think you know what I'm saying. Always take time for people. Give them an opportunity to be introduced to the Savior. Be willing to help others because it's a reflection of God's redeeming love. Number four, quickly, we extend the love of God when we're willing to forgive. All of us know the emotions that come in our hearts and our minds when we have been wronged, when we have been done wronged, when we've been hurt. Usually it works like this. After we get past the initial hurt, then there's the spirit within us that wants us somehow, and it's not the Holy Spirit, but it's part of that old nature that whispers some, somehow, some way, sometime, someplace that we're going to get even with you. And that spirit calls for vengeance. And then there might be a season when then you experience this thing called pride. But forgiveness, listen carefully, could not be just a turning point for the person who hurt you. And then let me say this. Let me put this on pause just for a minute. Forgiveness is never saying that you forget or that the situation was okay. You forgive to set yourself free. Forgiveness could not only be a turning point for the person who hurt you, but it could be a turning point for you. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespass. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespass. You know, this verse, let me just say this. Uh, my daughter, by the way, she's expecting a baby any day, any moment. And, and Gail and I will have to go to Northern Virginia when we get that call. But I can remember when she was in high school and she said, Dad, she said in the Bible class today, something very unusual came up. And I've never forgotten what she said. She said, we were talking and, and the teacher was teaching in the Gospel of Mark. And when she got to Mark chapter 11, verse number 26, she asked some of the class to comment on the verse, and she said there were some students in there who said the verse was not in their Bible, and the teacher asked them, what kind of Bible do you have? And they said the NIV. And if you happen to have an NIV this morning, I want you to know that Mark eleven twenty six is not in there. Now, listen, that's, that's a problem. 
People can change the word. They can change words in the word. And I have issues and problems with all of that. But when you start taking out the word from the word, listen, I will never be spiritual enough to take any part of God's word out of the word. The scripture says it's been settled in heaven forever. She said, Dad, some of the students couldn't stand and read because it was completely gone. Now look at this. But if you do, and think about how significant this is. But if you do not forgive, that's important. Neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespass. Ephesians 4.32, and be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Lastly, and our musicians come forward. We extend the love of God when we empathize with one another. And let me encourage you to do that. Just for a moment, when you know somebody's hurting, try putting yourself in their circumstances. Think about that. I was thinking about you in the last couple of days, Brother David, because he's been, he's been through a, a rough deal. You told us about that in Sunday school. You know, when you have a pet, it becomes almost like a, a family member. They had a dog of 15 years, and they had to put down. I know the pain of that because we had to do the same thing for us. Our dog couldn't stand, couldn't stand up, couldn't walk up and down steps. And I can remember the day that we had to put him down. We tied one, a brand-new bandana around him, and he loved McDonald's cheeseburgers. Yeah, we gave him, we, we just put a pile of them down there for him. I, I know what you went through. But not only that, man's air conditioner went out. Now, some of you, how many grew up in the Depression? Other than my mother, raise somebody, raise your hand. <laughs> Sister Elba, I'm going to say this. There was a day, and I can remember this, there was a day when all we had was funeral home fans. You know what I'm talking about? Had the, the big stick on it and the paper. You, I cannot tell you how many times I sat in a church house beside the lady who was fanning. And I'd sit as close to her as I could possibly get. <laughs> but his air conditioner went out. And I put myself in his situation because I've been there too. And I told him this. I said, you need to come to my house. And I meant that. I meant that. Sometimes we say things to people, oh, I'm praying for you, and we don't really mean, but listen. I think when you move beyond sympathizing with people and start empathizing with people, put yourself in their shoes and do whatever is necessary to help somebody. Our problem today is we're far too busy. There's so much going on. There's so much stuff. And we're far too busy, but how would you want somebody to respond to you? You, you? you see people in trouble and they're going through a struggles. The last thing in the world you want to do is to get over with another super spiritual righteous person, you know what I mean? And they're saying, look at them. Yeah, they deserve it. Mm -hmm. I told them. I told them they shouldn't have done that. Now look at them. Look at the mess that they're in. You made your bed, now lay in it. But if we want to be like Jesus, we don't say, look at your mess. 
You made your bed, now lay in it. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to say, hey, let me take your hand and help you take up your bed and walk. That's what we do. If we're going to be like him, we don't have time for that today. Preacher, our life is too busy. I understand that. But Lord, help me to be a witness. Help me to be a light. Help me to be a helping hand. Let me give you this last verse and we close in Matthew 7, verse 1 through 3. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that thou is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye? We extend God's love when we love people just like Jesus would love them. Simply being available, sometimes that means just be a good listener. And it's my prayer for our church as people of God that we begin to practice the mission statement of our church. I believe if we do those three simple things as a people of God, we're going to see God do some extraordinary things in our midst. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.